every day during this great and terrible pause, Cooch Street is spending 10 minutes or so with readers and book lovers from around the world, asking them what they're reading and what they'd recommend to anyone with a bit of time on their hands. Today, I'm spending 10 minutes or so with the fabulous Usman Malak, who joins me from somewhere in Pakistan. Hello, Usman. How are you? Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I am fairly well. How is the crazy time treating you? Uh, it's okay. Um, I, I work in medicine, so I have to be a little extra cautious. Um, so I'm doing most of my work online, so I'm yeah. sort of protected, yeah. but one day a week I still go out in the real world and see patients. So, <laughs> so you've been locked down for months and months now, I guess? Yeah, so most of my work I've switched to online, and I work one day a week at the hospital. Um, and every couple of weeks I go and actually do ward rounds in which I do stumble upon uh, or potentially stumble upon corona patients. Sure. So we have the full hazmat and everything. But that's happily, it's one day, so I'm really prepped. I'm not exhausted. I come back and I burn everything. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I don't burn everything, but I wash it thoroughly. <laughs> well, I guess unlike many people in the writing community, I mean, being a medical professional, as you say, I guess you don't have the the luxury in some ways of that, of having a long sort of fugue time where you're not engaging with the world and trying to wonder what's happening, you're sort of having it knock on your door every day. Yeah, so uh, so the way, you know, I was telling my wife earlier today that I, I think that there's very there are very few professions in, with, in which there is as much unpaid labor as in medicine. Um, because I, you know, I used to do two clinics a week at the hospital where we would see patients for free and I wouldn't get paid for it. I mean, I had a baseline salary from the hospital, but those extra two days were something that I had come up with. So I get, now these patients have nowhere to go. They can't come. So I am fielding questions from them all day long. So if I'm writing or I'm hanging out with the kids, I come back and I have 10 questions on my phone. And so for me, it's 24-7. It, it never ends. I get voice notes. And now because sure. of WhatsApp, people leave voice notes. <laughs> that must be, to... <laughs> must be fatiguing. Must be mentally fatiguing. It gets tiring. And then, yeah. Yeah. In amongst all of this then, I mean, are you finding that you are able to to write, to read, to to do that sort of activity that you were doing before? You know, so... Interestingly, for me, um, since quarantine started, it has been better than my normal life because mm-hmm. um, uh, I shouldn't say that. I kind of feel guilty when I say that. But I've never in the last four or five years, I haven't had time to do much writing yeah. or literary stuff because I work 40, 50 hours a week. Sure. And sometimes more. So my life was really sort of difficult before this. Yeah. Um, what I've found is that because I'm locked at home and I'm an introvert like yeah. you, <laughs> I don't mind being at home. And so when I'm at home, I do want to be productive. Yeah. So I've actually written more in the last three months than I did in the last three years. Wow. Um, so I am happy about that. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> I am, I'm sorry. I know the world is on fire. But... Well, Given that, let me ask you this, since it's part of what we're here for. What have you been reading lately, and critically, is it any good? 
So, you know, I just reread Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House after almost 25 years. And um, it, it was so, I mean, it's just a phenomenal book. I mean, I, I, I really don't know why more people in the world haven't read it. I know it's online in a bunch of places, but it still seems much more underread than far lesser books, in my opinion. Um, it's unbelievably good. She's unbelievably good. Everyone should read her. Um, I've also been reading for the first time in my life, the unabridged Arabian nights. Oh, wow. How is yeah, that? So, I, so I've been going through the three volumes, uh, Malcolm C. Lyons translation, yeah. um, which is a fairly recent translation, uh, Malcolm C. Lyles. I'm sorry, Malcolm C. Lyles translation. And, uh, it's lovely. It's unbelievably good. Um, there is a reason it's, it has stood for 700, 800 years. And I am getting a lot of ideas for what I want to do. Um, I, I highly recommend to anyone who likes science fiction or speculative fiction that at least once in their life, they should go through maybe, I don't know, 10 or 20 stories just to see the structure and see how powerful the structure is yeah. and how incredibly it works um, in cohesion. Do you think that the popularized versions of the story that we encounter in casual sort of popular culture really don't do it justice? So, you know, um, we could spend two hours talking about the history of Arabian Nights. Uh, we certainly were not going to do that. But um, the Arabian Nights, uh, when it was introduced to the uh, European world, was through, I want to say Galanz uh, is how his name is pronounced. Uh, the translation, uh, Golan's translation in French, and, um, you know, doing the project. But what he also did was he brought in some other stories that are not actual part of the Arabian Nights. So Sinbad the Sinbad and Aladdin are not parts of the original uh, Arabian Nights. Um, it's considered part of the core. So the popularizations are really fun, but um, they certainly don't reflect the um, ethos of the Arabian Nights. They're very different stories. They're very sexual, hypersexual stories. Um, some of them are ex extremely offensive in modern context. Um, some of them are extremely progressive in, uh, uh, in the modern context. They're just, uh, they're fascinating. It's a fascinating field to, I've been reading a lot of criticism and uh, articles and critiques of the, and, uh, and essays on the uh, Arabian Nights and uh, it's really a tre treasure trove. Okay. And I see from uh, your social media that you've also been uh, encountering Clive Barker for the first time, maybe. No, not for the first time. So I read Barker when I was 13, I think, for the first time. Yeah. And uh, I I read The Books of Blood and I read Hellraiser and I read a bunch of Barker and I was just blown away by him. I think Barker was the first writer um, – uh, he was the first gay writer whose work – I read and understood that he was gay. I okay. remember uh, Bar one of Barker's biographies. It was like a two-liner at the back of his book yeah. on the on the book cover saying he lives with his husband yeah. in England. And I found it really odd as a kid. Yeah. I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> is yeah, that yeah. a typo? I didn't, yeah. I didn't even understand what that meant Yeah, yeah. because I was 14, 14. And um, then I read in the, in the Hills, the Cities, and that's about a gay couple. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, that's what he's really talking about. And so Barker was a very early first love. 
And last night, I was just uh, browsing my shelves and I saw a book that I hadn't read by Barker. Mm -hmm. And it's a collection of four stories or four novellas. The first one was in the flesh that I did not remember reading. I read it and it, he blew my head all open all over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I might as well give up. You know, screw writing. I'm done. <laughs> well, let me ask you. You're shut in. You're reading. You're writing. Uh, do you think this is a time for, for challenging work, for comfort reads? Is there stuff that you would recommend to people from your own reading that now's a time to turn to? Um, um, I don't have any books out there that people can read. Um, I have a few stories. I think uh, you've liked a couple of my stories. Um, uh, I, I'd say The Pauper Prince might be a good introduction for some people. Uh, the story is The Pauper Prince and the Eucalyptus Gin. Um, another story that I like that I've written that other people don't really know much of uh, or haven't really talked about much is The Fortune of Sparrows. It's a story yeah. I really like. I, it's not available online. It's an Ellen Datlow's uh, Black Feathers anthology. So that story, I think, is a good introduction to my work. It has a very subcontinental feel about it. Yep. Um, and I think that's all I'm going to say about me. <laughs> well, let me ask you this because, I mean, you're right. The, the, the principle uh, – uh, uh, title escaped me right now. Sorry, it's getting late in the evening. Um, how important is it to you to have a subcontinental feel to the stories that you're telling? So, you know, I when I first started writing, I wanted to write in a very Western Stephen Kingy way because yeah. Stephen King was a big, big uh, inspiration. Bradbury was, King was. So that workman prose, that quick, snappy uh, prose, easily accessible was something I really wanted to do. Yeah. And along the way, I discovered that it was more important to me to really write stories that meant something to me, that had a feeling of home. Um, I was recently interviewed by um, Brian Keane for his podcast, um, The Horror Show, uh, with Brian Keane. And he noted that a lot of my stories tend to have the theme of childhood. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't really thought about it that way when I started thinking. And I realized I was writing stories pretty much in exile because I was in self-exile from yeah. Pakistan. Yeah, I had been living in the U.S. for 13 years before I moved uh, back to Lahore, and um, so all of my stories were filtered through a lens of nostalgia and I think probably homesickness. Yeah, um, I think that really made me want to write stories that other people in Pakistan could relate to and that I really enjoyed telling. People that I understood. I did not understand a lot of people around me because I was from a different world. Uh, I mean, I understood them, but I can't really understand yeah. them in their Sure. And sure. need to pretend to have been disingenuous. I mean, looking back, I was thinking probably the first story of yours I remember hearing of or encountering was what the, the vaporization enthalpy of a peculiar Pakistani family, which came out in what, about 2014. And then the pauper prince and the eucalyptus gin, which I think was on tour. Uh, and then I think Ellen Datlow picked up a couple of stories. You mentioned the fortune of sparrows and there was the in ruins of Mahendra Daro, which I think maybe she published as well, which was a story I particularly liked. I thought it was terrific. Um, now the wound was Paula Guerin. The the question that occurs to me in this space is, as someone who has lived abroad and returned home, do you find it easier or harder to write about home now 
than you did while you were outside of the country? Like, was it a matter of, and it seems to happen with people who live in different places, that you became more aware of home the further away from it you were? So, you know, um, I often think of Proust and an essay on Proust that I read uh, of when someone was talking about remembrance of times past. And, you know, Proust talks about the fact that um, he, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exactly, where he's talking about someone sitting on a train and riding this train and he's passing the countryside. And if this person writes down his impressions instantly, the impressions hold no power. But if he waits, he gets home, and then he writes from memory, the impressions take on a lot more potency. And so Proust was talking about memory being a very powerful filter uh, 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 to look towards. And uh, I felt that when I was writing in the U.S., when you know when a writer has those bursts, when you're just flying away on the type, I could feel all that emotion pouring through me. Um, and that's rare. Um, and I used to get that much more in the early days of my writing. I had more passion when I started writing initially. And then I started controlling the writing and narrative more. Yeah. So it started doing a little bit. Yeah. But I've noticed that since I've come back to Pakistan, my writing and my cultural references and my way of looking at things is beginning to change again. Mm-hmm. So it feels fresher to me. Okay. It feels like, it feels like the story is more relevant to Pakistan now than it, than Pakistan, than the Pakistan of 20 years ago. Yeah. That's really interesting because, I mean, I, I can well imagine that, um, that period away gives you that perspective to see it again. I mean, you have the familiarity that's laid into your past, but then there's also this thing of having come, gone away and come back. So up until now, and I realize obviously your medical career is a significant player in this. It's been short fiction that you've published. Have you plans, aspirations to write longer work, or is short fiction your your, your native space? Do you think? So you know, I I find short fiction much easier to handle these days um, because just because I'm so used to thinking in that sort of narrative structure. Mm-hmm. But I did start a novel finally. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was uh, uh, about a couple months ago, and I'd been thinking about doing a novel for quarter I really wanted to I really wanted to do a good hefty book yeah uh, because I do have that I think I tend to sprawl in general anyways most of my stories are longer stories mm-hmm. so uh, I was I, I finally got excited about an idea I started writing I'm about 20,000 words in oh wow so yeah it's becoming real <laughs> <laughs> well we shall have to wait to see that for the moment i'll put notes in in uh well links in the notes show notes to this to the various stories that are available online so people can find your work and i just want to say thank you very much for making time to talk to me today usman i genuinely appreciate it it's been terrific uh, thank you very much jonathan for having me i appreciate it <laughs>